The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's time for Hall of Fame broadcaster Al Bernstein to interact with some of the most fascinating big-name guests from the world of boxing and well beyond. Here's Al. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. Glad you joined us for what I think is going to be a fascinating interview. We talked on this show to the former heavyweight champion of the world, Larry Holmes. Larry, of course, held that championship from the late 70s through much of the 80s, and he was an extraordinary fighter. Uh, Larry had uh, won the title in a pitch battle with uh, Kenny Norton uh, in what was one of the best heavyweight fights, I think, of all time. A tremendous 15-round battle that ended with a split decision win for Larry. And then he defended his crown many times, oftentimes showing a certain vulnerability in fights that made him an even more entertaining uh, champion. So here's our chat with Larry Holmes. Larry, you uh, had an interesting beginning to your pro career because you only had a short amateur career, like 22 fights. But then while you were fighting as a professional, you really learned uh, your craft by sparring with top heavyweights like Ali, Joe Frazier, Jimmy Young, Ernie Shavers. How beneficial was that to you? And what did it kind of show you about your potential? It showed me a lot. Showed me that I can hang in there with anybody. I can get in the ring with Ali or get in the ring with Joe Frazier or Ernie Shavers and those guys. I can get in the ring with anybody. And that's what I concentrated on. Yeah, and, and, and I would think the beauty of all those guys is you saw all kinds of different styles uh, that you would then, the kind of styles you'd face later as a, you know, in your career. Yeah, you know, Ali had a different style, which he was boxing, sticking the jab and moving and circling around the ring. Joe Frazier had a style that he's going to come and knock you out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he don't back up for nobody and same thing with any service and all that. So, you know, I was learning, you know, they think, you know, they, uh, the way they box, so I can get my stuff going. So I can, I know how to back up because any service kept me backing up. I know, yeah. I know how to go forward because I'll even make you go forward. And yeah, great, great learning school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, you didn't, the interesting thing that people kind of forget, uh, and I was, you know, uh, right around, it was the beginning of when I was announcing boxing. So I remember it and I was covering boxing uh, for Boxing Illustrated and other publications when you won the heavyweight title uh, before I got with ESPN. But I, I rem- do, doing stories about you, uh, I remember this. You did not get your shot at a world title until uh, your 28th fight, and you were 29 years of age. Um, so you got it a little bit uh, later. Um, how did it impact you that you, even though you were certainly still a young enough guy and had a brilliant reign that lasted a long time, 
Do you think that the fact that you had to wait and earn this opportunity made it even sweeter for you? Yeah, you know what? I was kind of glad that I did wait because I got a chance to learn how to, how to fight and learn how to fight mm -hmm. different styles. And uh, that was good. You know, even look out <laughs> back there in those days, man, you know, you was out there, man, you seen you, you cover these guys and everything else, you know, and you never wrote a bad article about me. So <laughs> I, I liked you from the beginning <laughs> and I learned from that, man. You know, I learned from that. That's yeah. Stay cool. Yeah. And, oh, go uh, ahead. Sorry. No, no problem. Go ahead. No. And you, um, you created, when you won the world championship, you and Kenny Norton, and I remember being there at that, at that, uh, in, in the pavilion in Caesar's palace to, to write about that fight. And, um, you and he, created what I think is absolutely one of the best heavyweight championship fights of all time. Uh, did you have a sense, uh, of course, you, it was a dogfight, you know, but did you kind of know that you guys were creating a classic moment? No, you know, that wasn't a part of my thoughts. You know, my, my thoughts would go out and win if I can. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, and Kenny Norton pushed me to that limit because he was on top of me every second, you know, and I, he hit me a little below the belt and I never forget it. And I said, you hit me below, keep it up, keep, keep the punches up. And he told me, he said a whole lot of bad words to me <laughs> that I shouldn't say on, on, on the network. <laughs> okay, I didn't I was, know that. I did Well, yeah. of course you guys had a little history before that there was an altercation at his training camp and there was some, some other stuff. So I know it wasn't all fun and games before the fight. No, he didn't love me, and I didn't love him either. You know, but I respected him. I respected him because he was, you know, he was the champ, and he was the man that beat the champ. So you know, I I paid it no mind and tried to keep on doing what I was doing. But Kenny Norton would never, never be out of my mind. Everybody said, "Who you for? For the championship?" Kenny Norton. Yeah, tough fight. It was amazing, and it came down to the fifteenth round. And you guys produced one of the great rounds in heavyweight history. And uh, uh, and you had a great second part of that round, which is what sealed the fight for you. In fact, that is probably what won the fight it, because it was to be decided. And, you know, that, that, those were 15-round fights. Um, hard to conceive of that, I think, for a lot of fans now. But for you, the two of you, the pace you fought at to get into that 15th round uh, and produce that round was amazing. You had to, finding that extra gear had to be difficult. Well, I tell you what, your heartbeat was beating and never, and listen, you guys made the fight too because you, you covered it and you said some things, maybe true and some of them weren't true. And Kenny Norton, you know, he 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 was great. He didn't like me anyway, you know. He was going to try to, he was going to, try to kill me, you know. Even after the fight, it was just the same way. You know, he still didn't want to say nothing to me. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and and of course that fight was that fight. I mentioned it was at Caesar's Palace, and that was in the Pavilion. But then many of your fights, you fought ten times at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, and. Many of those fights, some of them were in the outdoor arena. The two, two of the biggest, of course, were against Muhammad Ali and Jerry Cooney, in which it was you literally made Las Vegas stand still um, 
which those great fights did in the 80s. Sometimes people now that have, you know, maybe weren't around during that era, they can't get the flavor of what it was like in Las Vegas in the 1980s for a big fight at Caesars Palace. Can you describe a little bit about, as a participant, the way that moment felt to you? Well, I still feel, I still feel it, you know? I mean, all these years later, I feel, oh man, you know, what a fight I had, you know? Yeah. Kenny Norton put on a great show, tried to kill me and knocking me out <laughs> and all that stuff. And I was trying to, I was just trying to win the fight, you know? And, yeah. And the city, the city was alive during your big fights uh, in in uh, uh, in in Las Vegas. The eighties were was an amazing decade, and a lot of that was you were responsible for a big part of that. The whole vibe of that event, those events that you had were amazing. Yeah, you know, Kenny was good. He, he was good, but you know, he wanted to win. He wanted to be the champion. You know, he he beat Ali which, you know, no matter what people say, he's in his mind, he yeah. beat Ali and didn't get it. Now he's going to fight me and and uh, he's going to knock me out. That's the only way he's going to get to be the title, get, get that be the title. And he could not, he couldn't knock me out because I, I study him. I study Kenny Norton. I watch him fight. I watch him, you know, and uh, I was not going to go that way. I was going to win the title because, you know, a lot of people in Easton said, Larry Holmes, oh, hey, he's all right, but he he can't be Ken Norton, hmm. you know. So I had to go through that here in my hometown. No, they was wow, really some some you know? doubters even there. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Now you had two amazing fights with Ernie Shavers. The first one you completely controlled and dominated the fight uh, before you were champion, and the second one uh, you won and you ended up TKOing him. Of course, he knocked you down in that fight and. Uh, you know, he's a tremendously powerful puncher. Was he the most, I know Cooney also landed some good punches and you've said he's a hard puncher. Was Ernie Shavers the hardest puncher that you faced? That I fought. Yeah, that yeah. I fought. Uh, Jerry Cooney was next to that, but yeah. But uh, uh, Ernie Shavers, you know, with his style and with his ducking and whatever, and he, hitting him on his head, he had a hard head, you know. He, <laughs> yes, yeah. It was, was not not a cakewalk for Larry Holmes. No. And I, I I stood in there with him, and he hit me, and I hit him, and I came out victoriously at the end. And then and then they had him there to throw Jerry Cooney on me. And then, <laughs> why do I have to fight this guy? He's bigger than me, six foot five, six foot <laughs> yeah. six. And he punches hard as heck, you know. And you go get him half of the money. <laughs> no such thing as the parody with Jerry Cooney. Jerry Cooney wanted the lion's share, but yeah. we settled at the end of it for half of the money. And uh, we had we put on a good fight. I think it's a great fight. You know, you brought you brought that up, and I of course I was going to ask about that. Um, that was uh, an extraordinary promotion on many levels some not so wonderful because there were there were people involved in the promotion though i don't think that you or jerry were among them and you guys have become good friends since then which is great to see and i i love both of you guys so i'm 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 thrilled that you that you guys are good friends but there was so much deliberately done 
to try and make that fight seem like uh, a fight between the great White Hope and Larry Holmes. And that had to be difficult to go through. You had, you had Jim Jacobs and Bill Caton or whatever in the corner throwing that garbage around in the air, you know, so they had to hit- Rappaport and Jones, right? Right, Rappaport yeah. and Jones. And they had to hit Jerry because they hit me, you know? Yeah. And you know, that's why I said, when the bell rang, when I, when I fought Jerry, when the bell rang, I said to Jerry, I looked at him and I shook his hand. I said, let's have a good fight. Great. And that's what we did. We had a good fight. Yeah. You know, Jerry never forget that part there. And even when I was beating him up and started beating him up, you know, taking advantage of it, um, he, he, stood, he, stood, he stood there like a man and he took whatever I had to give him. Yeah. Gary, yeah, you know, and, and it, it is interesting. And you, you know, what some people forget is, and you made a point of it, that while Jerry Cooney didn't have quite the right, they didn't really create the right buildup for him to fighting you uh, because they didn't put him in against the toughest competition prior to it, he stepped up enough in that fight to do some very good things. And he's a powerful puncher. So your victory over him should never be discounted because you're, as you point out, you're facing this, this big, tall power punching heavyweight who, if they had handled him better, would have had a better career. You know, one of the things I did is got in a lot of arguments uh, over that fight because when people say, oh, he, Jerry was not a pair, Jerry was this, he was that. I said, I tell you what, if you'd have thought he'd have knocked you out in two seconds, Jerry yeah. was a punching puncher man and uh he 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 can hit you and i wanted to win the fight i wanted to box him to win the fight because i knew he was a puncher and i had seen what he did to the guys before me and um no i was not going to stay there and take punches and trade with jerry and get beat up i was going to box jerry use my knowledge and what i learned from him boxing from ali and frazier no guys and uh go to get away with it go out clean yeah, you fought a, a great fight against him and uh, and got the win, and it was you know one of the more important ones in your career. You, um, of course, fought Muhammad Ali when he came back in the ring at I think age thirty eight, and I, I've always wanted to ask you this, and I don't never really had an opportunity during the lead up to that fight. In your mind, did you ever believe that Ali was going to bring the fight? like some people started to believe he would, that he somehow had recaptured the magic at that age. Uh, did you ever think he was a serious threat to you? You know, to tell you the truth, anybody who stepped in the ring with me, I thought they were serious because okay. they, they was hitting me, they were throwing punches, stuff like that. And Muhammad Ali was one of the guys that did that. He talked to you crazy, you hit him, that didn't hurt, that didn't hurt. Give me your best shot, you know. And it went on and went on and went on until, you know, the referee stopped it. But no, Ali was my friend. He was a guy that could fight and knew a lot of tricks. And I couldn't get myself to fall in and in, in all that mess that he was throwing out there because he was throwing them out there and he could punch. You know, he, he got to be in that position by beating the number one contender. So the guy could fight and he was a champion of the world, you know? 
and, and the guys that he, he fought, like Sonny Liston and all them guys, uh, he, he had to be, he had to know what he was doing. So even at that age, you felt there was danger there uh, uh, from him. And of course, you dominated uh, most of that, virtually all of that fight. And, you know, so many people talk about uh, the ending of that fight and how at a certain point you wanted the referee to step in, didn't you, to stop the fight? Yeah, I told the referee, I said, listen, what I got to do? I got to kill him. I mean, I'm beating him up. I mean, you know, because after, after the fifth round, you know, he started going down, you know, and I was taking the shots, taking the shots, you know. And he would take those punches, man, and, yeah. and say, come on, come on, you ain't got nothing. Come on, my spine partner, boy, you my spine partner. But, you know, of course, I worked with Ali for five years. Right. right. Spine partner. But uh, Ali still had a lot of tricks up his sleeve, and I didn't want to take no chances, no chances. Yeah. Well, you you fought a, a you know brilliant fight. Did when you look back on it uh, during the time, it, did you? Is it hard to see what? I mean, obviously, it was a, you made a lot of money for that fight, and you exercised demons of this man that you know had preceded you and has a big shadow. But do you think you gained from beating Ali, or was it kind of a mixed bag? Well, with the, with, I, I think I gained. You know, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of respect I got in the ring and out of the ring. Mm-hmm. People respected me. Before. Yeah, because of the way you handled it, right? Yeah. I didn't beat him up. And I, you know, I, and they knew, a lot of people knew that what I was doing and I didn't have to beat him up. But a lot of people didn't like me because I was, because I could beat him up. I was beating him up and they, I was, they said, I hate you, I hate you. Yeah. What what I do? You beat up Ali. Ali the man. You ain't the yeah. man. You never be the champ. And I had to go through that. I said, but you know what? It was him on me. That's what I had to go through. You know, I, there's probably been very few fighters in the history of the sport who found themselves in a no-win situation as many times as you did, whether it was Ali, whether it was the Cooney fight in which, you know, there was these overtones, whether it was going, you know, the, the going after Marciano's record or whether it's going after it, just it being there and uh, all the all the, the, the terrible insults you took and all the rest. So you were like in so many situations where you were damned if you did and damned if you didn't. And that had to be hard mentally to go through. It was really hard. You know, I was in, in no win situation. I win and I lose, you know, I, what I want to do, go out and get knocked out because yeah. you don't want me to <clears throat> break a record. I can't do yeah. that. I'm going to go out there and fight. You know, when God give me talent to fight, I'm going to go out there and do what I got to do. And uh, <clears throat> it was hard, you know, to, to, to the Marciano family and stuff like that. But it was never um, said that uh, I was uh, racist or whatever. Yeah. I, you know, I fought him because I, he, he was a pony. What color was he? I, I don't know what color he was. I think he was white, but it could have been black, you know, as far as I'm concerned, because we were fighting, <laughs> you know what I mean? My, my thing was not to look and judge him, by the color, but judging by the way he throw his punches. And, uh, you know, it worked for me. And uh, so those that seen the fight know what I did, know that I let it go. 
and I didn't try to kill nobody. And all I wanted to do was win a fight. Yeah. Yeah, you were you were great about uh, work, being workmanlike and going about your business and 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 tuning out the noise that that oftentimes came. And, and as I say, some of it for you was was difficult. The uh, you had uh, through almost all of your career, most of your career, Don King was your promoter and your relationship with him was a tricky one. Um, when you when you t- like look at it in total and assess it. What's your overall assessment of of your relationship with him and and the whole uh, business mode of operation with him? I tell you one of the things I, I I don't have I don't have hate for nobody I don't you know inspire nobody you know we went out there we did what we had to do either Jerry went or Ali went or whatever but I I was doing what I had to do. And um, a lot of people were out there hating me because of that. But I didn't care. I wanted to win the fight, go home with my trophy, my wife and my kids. I said, I want the fight. And we had dinner and, and kept it quiet. We, we, we didn't want to, we didn't want to be, ah, I beat Holmes, I beat, you know, I didn't want that. I just wanted to be, be me. And was King, uh, when you look at your overall time with him, uh, was he more beneficial than detrimental in the long run? It's like Dave. 50 <laughs> 50? Yeah, yeah, that's what he was. <laughs> All right, I, I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. You had, you had 20 uh, title defenses, which is extraordinary. And, uh, and that, of course, is something that will forever put you in uh, the boxing history books. But it is interesting. I think one of your greatest moments, and this may seem odd, came in a defeat when you were 42 years old and you fought Evander Holyfield and made him go 12 tough rounds. Uh, I remember being at that fight and I was covering it for ESPN and uh, and and. I got on Sports Center and I said, this might be one of Larry Holmes' finest moments, even in losing, uh, because you were an old you were older at that point and uh you were 42, and you've managed to do that with Holyfield. Uh did you I know of course the object is to win, but you must have felt uh that you acquitted yourself extremely well. Yeah, I, I thought I did. I think I did good, but I, I, I didn't go into the fight to lose. I went in there to win and I didn't care who I was fighting. Yeah. Randall Holyfield just got me one of those days that I wasn't really quite 100%. But uh, we fought a good fight. He fought a good fight. He said some things that would try to upset me. Talk about, you know, when, if it wasn't Marciano, it was Muhammad Ali, it was Ernie Shavers, it was Jerry. It was somebody that somebody always was doing up to me. And why can't I just be me? That's all I want. I don't want to be nobody else. I don't want to, you know, say that I'm better than anybody was was better than anybody else. I just wanted to go out there and put on a good fight and hope that nobody got hurt in the fight. That's all I wanted. Well, you you did that against him, that's for sure. So you ended up fighting Mike Tyson uh, right toward the end of your career, or at least. Yeah, we could arrange that maybe. Let's think about that. They're doing a lot. Of, <laughs> they're doing a lot of those fights now. So, 
<laughs> Maybe not. Oh, you were, were you? Well, I, I saw a comment. Uh, you had a funny comment when uh, they asked you how you would do against today's heavyweights. And you said, well, I'm 70 years old. You know, you can't. <laughs> yeah, I, 71. All right. There you go. Uh, so uh, but w if you had fought Mike Tyson during your prime, how do you think that fight would have gone? I don't want to take nothing away from Mike Tyson, but you wouldn't have heard of him. Mm -hmm. You might have heard of Mike Tyson. Listen, if he'd have came up in this, the crowd of people that I came up with, he had, he had to fight those guys. He had to fight them money shit. He had to fight them kidding Norton. He had to fight them Ali. You know, he had to fight them guys that was going to hit him and hit him and try to hurt him. And, and then they're going to talk about it. Right? You know, that's what them guys wanted. They want bragging rights. And, I, and Mike Tyson would have gave them bragging rights. He, he, he won over me, so let him go out and defend it. Yeah. Uh, well, certainly you had the uh, the boxing skills that would have made it, a, you know, he and you and he at the um, in your prime would have been, a, a, you know, extraordinary fight and your boxing skills. Does anybody in the sport of boxing that you see that you have seen, who are some of the people, if there are anybody, that you would say have a jab that is somewhat comparable? You're, you have perhaps one of the best jabs, well, for sure, one of the best jabs in the history of boxing. What is, and, and I'm sure you admire people that can jab really well. Is there anybody that, or people that come to mind that you look at and say, wow, their, their jab's pretty impressive? Yeah, I, I ran across a couple guys like that and uh, had a good jab. And I tried to teach them how to double it up and how to triple it up and how to counter off of it. And, uh, and, and that's it. But, but they, don't, they didn't really, they don't want to use the jab. They want to go out and slug. Mm. You know, you got to use the jab, man. Get them. My thing I always say, you got to make them drunk before mm -hmm. you mug. And then you mug, you know. Yeah. So take your time. Go out there and do what you got to do. Box, use your jab, use the jab. The jab will keep everybody right hand off your face if you throw it right. And you just talked about, which I think is really interesting, with some people, they don't see that nuance. There are different ways to use the jab, and it use it for different purposes at different times in the fight, don't you? Yeah, you listen, I use it up and down and around. That's the way to go, up and down and around, because you got you to gotta use a jab. If you don't have a jab, you ain't got a fighter. Yeah. If you don't jab, you can't just walk in on somebody and, and knock them out. You got to set them up with that jab. Wow, jab, wow, pop, jab, pop. We used to say, cut the tree. We call him, cut the tree, Big Jack. That's what my brother called me. Big Jack, Big Jack, cut the tree. Cause Jack Johnson <laughs> threw them jabs. And I was doing the same thing that Jack Johnson did. And, and I got away with it. I got away with it. Yeah. But I, I learned as I went on, the jab was the most, most important thing to, to use in the fight. Yeah. Well, you had a great one. What, if you had to say the most satisfying moment of your career or a couple of them, what would be the most satisfying for you? Well, one of the things I wanted to do, and I did it, but I didn't want to do it that way, is Muhammad Ali get him off my back. Because it was always, you ain't no Muhammad, you ain't no Muhammad. Muhammad would do this, Muhammad would do that. Right. And, you know, 
then we had to get him off the back, my back, you know. And uh, same thing with Ernie Shavers, you know, Kenny Norton. I had to get them off my back because people have faith in these guys because they don't fuck the Muhammad Ali's and everybody else in the world. And uh, you want to see how I did do with them. Well, I've done it. Now you can judge me. Yeah, you did. That's for sure. And those were all great moments. So the uh, one of the big successes you've had in life outside of the ring is that you and Diane have been married since 1979. And she is a wonderful woman. And you two have a wonderful partnership and have always had. So what's, your, what's the secret that you want to tell the world about how to have such a long-lasting and happy marriage? Never say no. <laughs> <laughs> the husband, just don't ever say no to your wife, right? Don't say no. She wanted to go get it. She wanted a new car. Go get it, you know what I mean? But my money, my, my money is running kind of low now, so you can't just go do that no more. But, <laughs> you may, you may at some point have to actually say no. Is that it? Yeah, you have to say no. She understands it. She understands. Hey, 30, what, 30 years I've been married. Thirty years I've been married to her. So I don't, I don't even know how many years I've been married. Yeah, well, since '79, however many. It's a long time. Uh, yeah, you two have had a, a wonderful relationship and, you know, um, a partnership, it seems like. And uh, and 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 she's been, uh, you know, how would you describe her as a force in your life? She, she's always praying and always saying one for me. And I say, did you say one for me? <laughs> I always say one for you. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> And she's she's been a great girl. I mean, I got two kids. One of one of them is uh, forty, I think. I don't know. And my son, he's thirty eight or thirty nine, whatever. I got a, I got a great family, and they 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 know and they do right. They all educated. Something that I'm not. I'm not educated. They educated. They went to school. They graduated. They went to college. <laughs> I'm a dropout, man. That's how. Well, I well you, you, uh, yeah, but let's 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 also clarify that you had to quit school in the seventh grade because you were in a family of you have t- eleven brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. and you had to help your mom, who was a single mom at that point. You uh, you had to go to work, and so uh, you took the hard route to help your family. Correct. Yeah, you know, I don't want to take all the credit for that, but everybody did. Everybody yeah. in the house had to pop out, you know. You know, yeah. you, you had to go out there and pick cotton. You go pick cotton. You go out there, pick apples. You pick apples. You do whatever you got to do to bring food into the house so that yeah. guys can sit down at the table and eat. And that's well, what we did. Your character uh, was forged from that, I'm sure. So you, you've you done something that's kind of interesting, and you, you alluded to Easton before. Not too many people have put a town on the map, uh, which you've done. You know, if anybody says Easton, Pennsylvania, there's only one thing that they're going to think about. Um, while the town may, has other attributes and there are other charms, at the end of the day, they're going to think about Larry Holmes. You put that town on the map, uh, they erected a beautiful statue of you, which is wonderful. You got a street named after you, and I, I think people will appreciate it. But it must make you feel kind of proud 
that you are responsible for making a city known to the world. Yeah, I am really. I'm proud. But you know what? You, but you, you know, people crazy. They don't care. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they don't care what you did or who you are. Or who what have you done for me lately, huh? Yeah, you know what I mean. So you know, you just keep on doing what you're doing, yeah. and uh, the good will come back out of it. And, and just be. I, I love East tonight because I, I love East because I can go. I can ride down the street to those stories and stuff like that. You know, it takes 10 minutes <laughs> to do that. And I ain't got to fight nobody, ain't got to argue with nobody. But sometimes <laughs> you get a wise guy. Oh, Larry Homer, and give me the finger and stuff like that. You know, but I don't care, you know. I, I got too, now I am too old for that. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, I'm sure that 99.9% .9 of everybody in Eastern Pennsylvania uh, is grateful that Larry Holmes uh, was born and grateful that Larry Holmes did so many wonderful things uh, to give that city um, its recognition. And I'm sure they're proud of your efforts, uh, as they should be. Um, and Larry, I, I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this with me. I, I you know, I remember uh, those, those times in the 80s when uh, I would cover your fights for Sports Center. Ironically, I, I hardly ever got to announce your fights because they were on uh, different networks than I was on. Uh, they, I finally got to announce a fight of yours a million years into your career against Butterbean, of all people. That was, but that was, you know, way after after your championship run. But uh, I was privileged to to cover many of those. And you know, the one thing I regret. You and I were both doing a lot of music in Las Vegas. You had your music group, and I was performing. We never did a duet. Now, that's a shame, right? We, we get it together. Why would we get the <laughs> We got to do that. If you come out to Vegas, I'm still performing out here. You got to come out, and we're going we're gonna to get together and do a duet. What hotel do you want? I usually perform at the Tuscany so hotel so we're gonna get you out there and we're gonna we're gonna see if we once the the COVID thing is well in hand we'll we'll have do we'll, we'll all four go out to dinner and uh and you can come over and we'll do some songs yeah we'll have a good time all right larry thank you so much and uh i appreciate you sharing uh your memories with us hey man thank you for having me my wife thanks you my kids don't even know who i'm talking to but i thank you <laughs> Yeah, thanks a lot, Larry. Take take care. So that was my chat with Larry Holmes. Uh, I hope you found it as enjoyable as I did, chatting with him about his reign as heavyweight champion and reminiscing with him a bit uh, about what was a great time in the sport of boxing. Well, now I want to introduce uh, my co-host, uh, who will, among other things, help guide us through the questions that you have asked on Twitter at Al Bernstein, uh, questions that you've asked me. Uh, and so with that, let me introduce Trip Mitchell. Hi, Trip. How are you? I'm doing great. And that was fun to catch up with Larry Holmes. He was a great champion. And on a previous show, someone asked, what was the best decade in the heavyweights, the 70s or the 90s? And you mentioned that you know, the 70s, obviously some amazing figures, but that Larry Holmes stepped in at the end of the decade and won a championship and uh, you tied it up nicely today. Yeah. And and and, and, and he continued, of course, into the 80s uh, with with great fights. And uh, uh, Larry was just, uh, you know, probably an underrated heavyweight champion and maybe a misunderstood one as well. Uh, 
but I always found him to be a great guy. And I think he demonstrated that uh, in that interview as well. Great. Well, we've summer is heating up and you've got a unification fight coming up that you're pretty excited about. I do. On uh, July 17th on Showtime, uh, we have Jamel Charlo uh, putting his titles on the line against another titleist, Brian Castaño. So all the championships that are in the 154-pound division will be on the line when they battle in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be ringside for that along with my uh, castmates at, uh, at Showtime. And just, it should be a really excellent fight. You know, Jamel Charlo will be the favorite in the fight, but if Brian Castaño can get past the first four or five rounds in that fight, and get his engine going with that high volume pressure style that he has, this could be a classic fight to be sure. And that weight division has produced some excellent fights. It's all the fighters fighting each other, the top men. We just recently saw Erickson Lubin uh, beat uh, Jason Rosario in a battle of two men who had previously lost to Charlo, but were in a uh, title eliminator match. And one of them will likely fight the winner of the Castaño-Charlo uh, fight. So really looking forward to July 17th. Should be exciting. Okay. And let's get to the question. Boxing head rights, and ironically, it's about unification. Al, with all the champions we have in boxing, it gets confusing not only for the casuals, but also for the lifelong diehard fans. Do you foresee at any point in boxing future one commission that runs it all, just like the UFC, one champ per weight class, and we all know who he is. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I think that uh, uh, that's one of boxing's major problems, if not the major problem, that uh, for casual fans and even uh, fans that co follow it very closely, it's difficult to know who's champion at any given moment in any w given weight class. And, uh, you know, the great line by Ray Mancini from years ago when he was, a world champion, and uh, there was another champion, uh, <laughs> Henry Royal, I think it was, uh, from uh, from Youngstown, Ohio, the very same city he lived in, had a different world championship in the same weight division, which prompted Ray to say, "How many worlds are there?" So, <laughs> you know that that pretty much tells it all. That's a problem that boxing has that is not easily fixable, and I think is a problem that's going to continue to dog it. The only thing that has happened is there are a lot more title unification matches happening these days. We saw Josh Taylor uh, in his fight with uh, Jose Ramirez in uh, a terrific fight where they unified championships. And we mentioned the one on July 17th. So that's happening more often. So hopefully that will somewhat alleviate the problem. Okay. And let's go to the sport of women's boxing. Would it be feasible, Skinny Maine, by the way, asked this, would it be feasible or even possible to amend women's boxing rules to go to three-minute rounds? Yeah, it's not only feasible, it is advisable. And uh, I think it's likely to happen in the, in the near future. Almost all women boxers that you talk to, and we've had many on this show uh, who have uh, said it, uh, they would all like it to be three-minute rounds. I think the women want that. They want to fight the same distance as men. And they're quite capable of doing it. Uh, and it will change the nature of women's boxing. You know, now with the two-minute rounds, there's this, uh, this need to try and get something done. Now, some people say that makes it more entertaining. But I think women deserve the right to have those three-minute rounds where they can, 
you know, have a little more time to create the, the, the openings and the style that they want and more time to get the job done uh, in fights. So I, I think we're gonna see that happen. The commissions will change that. I think we'll see that in the next several years. And just on a, a personal basis, Al, is it tougher to do two minute rounds as an announcer? Yes, because it goes by so fast and you don't have a, one of the many things is you don't get a, you don't have a chance to do as much um, information about the fighters because you want to call the action, of course, and you, but you want to weave in those uh, uh, biographical notes as well. And you can't do that and do justice to the, the, the actual action as well. Okay. And our final question from Mr. Mick, how, who was the most difficult fighter to interview and approach? Well, let's see. I have had a few problems with Adrian Broner in the last several years. I think people might have noticed that. Uh, you know, he doesn't seem to dig me. I know that's a shocker, but uh, so he's been pretty difficult. He's probably the champion for me of all the, the difficult uh, interviews I've done or attempted to do. Uh, but I've had so few of those instances over the 40 years that they're barely, that they're noticeable only because there've been very few. Uh, for instance, Jeff Lacey, who's a, a former uh, super middleweight champion, uh, he had a few moments uh, where he didn't feel like I was doing him justice during the fights we were announcing. And we had a few difficult moments in interviews, nothing too dramatic, but uh, nonetheless, he was not pleased. And then he had a right to, to, to say it, uh, but it made for some interviews that were a little tricky. And then uh, Bruce Selden, a, a former heavyweight champion, a brief, brief heavyweight champion back in the 80s, he wasn't uh, uh, grooving on my commentary and let me know it uh, during a couple of interviews. One interesting thing is that uh, of all the interviews I've done, both on radio and television, I'll tell you what was one of the most difficult, it was with a comedian, Damon Wayans, who I had had a wonderful interview with maybe eight or nine months before when he was coming to Las Vegas to perform, I think at the Orleans or one of the hotels. We had a fantastic interview and I used to really enjoy interviewing comedians on the show. Well, I did a phone interview with him and he was, you could hear the papers rustling in the background as he paid attention to everything other than me asking him questions. And he literally was not even remotely interested in what I was asking him. And I'll tell you, about three minutes, four minutes into the interview, I shut it down. I just said, you know what, Damon? I said, I, I think it's a bad time to do the interview with you. And I said, thanks. And then I, you know, I ended it. And he was saying, oh, no, no. But, you know, was that so that on, was ironically, uh, that was that was the worst interview I probably ever had with anybody. Was that on live radio or live, live TV? Live radio, yeah. On my uh, show on the ESPN affiliate in Las Vegas. And it was just not going anywhere. And I and and the thing that was really strange about it is I'd had this great interview with him before. So, you know, it happens sometimes. Well, the worst is when that's a date, you know, when you go out and you realize three or four minutes into the date that, that it's a good even, idea to shut it down. I agree. That would be even worse. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, my experience was Kyle Bush, who was um, a two-time NASCAR champion, hated being interviewed with me. And the year I had to do it was after he won 14 races. So there are 14 times at the end that I'd have to interview Kyle. And he hated it and I hated it. And oh, we, boy. Yeah, yeah, not a lot no, of fun. That's, that's not good. For no. sure. 
Well, hey, listen, we uh, we appreciate uh, everybody joining us uh, on the show here. Um, my thanks to Larry Holmes, of course, for his uh, his interview. Thanks to Trip for his fine job. And thanks to all of you for watching. Thanks to the folks at Let's Do Something Productions for making this show possible. And we'll see you next time.